Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome. Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney, but I'm afraid that's as far as we're going to go this week. I have decided we actually won't have a podcast uh, under these circumstances. I refuse to record a podcast virtually. Eric, either we do it in person or we don't do it at all. I will not podcast over Skype or Zoom from remote locations. That is not the way podcasts are meant to be. We must be strong. We cannot allow this virus to defeat us. We must inject ourselves with steroids and bleach and get on with it. It's, it's all very well for you to hide in your basement in Pennsylvania, but I'm a leader and I have to lead. But uh, Kieran, we, we always do the podcast Wrong! over Skype and Zoom. Wrong. Yeah, no, we, we've been doing it remotely for six years, since long before COVID. You are the enemy of the people. I can't I can't dispute that <laughs> because I am strong and not addled by the cocktail of drugs that is being pumped into me. I am going to do what I'd always intended to do and do this podcast and do it bigly. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to chalk up everything you're saying to this being the steroids talking. Uh, it's got to be the Regeneron or or the black ant pills. Maybe you're still hopped up on the black ant. <laughs> Is that possible? Do you still have a little black ant in your system? Well, I'm very, I'm very sweaty, and <laughs> walls do seem to be closing in on me. I, I will ask no follow-up questions about why you're yeah, sweaty. Yeah, probably best. So uh, three more weeks till the election, Kieran. It'll feel like three years, but it's only three weeks. We're almost there. Empuga, Eric. M-P-G-A. Make podcasting great again. That's all I <laughs> There we go. Ordered my hat the second you said it. Uh, we say often that we have a packed show this week, but we really have a packed show this week. Um, we will be joined shortly by Leonard Ellaby, uh, CEO of Mayweather Promotions, to talk about their boxer, Gervonta Davis's upcoming fight with Leo Santa Cruz, among other things. Uh, we will be looking ahead to this weekend's highly anticipated clash between Vasily Lomachenko and Teofimo Lopez. We will discuss our Hall of Fame ballots, as those ballots have now been mailed out to voting members, of which Eric and I are too. And we have a few news items to go over, including now firm dates for a few big fights. But first, Wednesday saw a special midweek edition of Showbox, the new generation, and it was almost the perfect broadcast for Eric and me. Three fights, three knockouts, and a relatively early night. Yeah, the relatively early night was much appreciated, uh, and for me, even more than for you, it really was damn close to a perfect night, as in the main event, Charles Conwell scored a ninth-round KO of Wendy Toussaint, which was exactly the pick I made last week right down to the round, giving me a whole bunch of bonus points and a suddenly substantial lead in our picks contest. So we'll talk about that main event shortly, but first, let's quickly address the two undercard bouts. I have a feeling we'll spend more time talking about these than we spent watching them. Uh, <laughs> we expected them to be explosive, and they were, although in both cases the explosions were traveling pretty much all in one direction. We figured at least one of these two fights would be brief. In fact, both were, as Brandon Lee and Janelson Figueroa Boca Chica took care of Jimmy Williams and Niklas Flas, respectively, within a round. Lee dropped Williams three times, the third time conclusively and a little worryingly, to score a win at the 134 mark of the opening round, whereas Boca Chica required all of two minutes and 43 seconds to dispense with Flaz, who was game, but did not have a good game plan. Kieran, did we learn anything at all in those two brief outings? Uh, so when we were chatting with Gordon Hall about these last week, we expressed the hope collectively, nay, the belief, one might even say, that Boca Chica Flaz would be the fight of the night. And um, so Flaz came out of his corner really looking to turn it into that, as, as you alluded to. But uh, I guess the problem, if he learned anything, was that either he doesn't have the defensive skills to, to back up that kind of aggression, or he just forgot to deploy them. Uh, he was wide open for Boca Chica's right hand, and that also seemed to contribute to him uh, uh, dropping his hands and being open to the hook, which dropped him a couple of times, of course. Um, it seemed like, you know, that first hook dropped him, and then he just kept coming back as if nothing had happened. And then it looked as if there was that series of two or three right hands where he was trying to tie up Boca Chica, and Boca Chica wasn't having it. Just banged him a few times, and, and I think that that kind of did some of the damage there. And then we had right hand, left hook, right hand, left hook. And that was effectively it, apart from uh, a, a little bit afterwards. Um, so apart from the fact that it looks to me like he needs to keep his chin tucked, I'm not sure that we learned a lot about Flaz. But 
Um, from Boca Chica, we already knew he could be an exciting fighter. We already knew he could be a good boxer. I was impressed in those two minutes and 43 seconds uh, how patient he could be and calm mm. uh, that he was able to, you know, let Flaz unload on him and just look and, and just look to land his counters between Flaz's punches. Not very many of Boca Chica's punches were really that wild. A lot of them were really well placed. Um, so I'd certainly be very happy to see more of him. Did we learn anything at all that we didn't already know about Brandon Lee, on the other hand? And I don't think so. Uh, we already knew that he hits damn hard, and we saw that again. Um, and after the stoppage, I mean, Lee was obviously concerned about Williams because that conclusive knockdown, as you said, was, was brutal. But um, he also looked almost apologetic, as if he's starting to get a little bit bored with doing this and he wants someone to sort of stand up to him. Um, it's a tricky situation, isn't it? I understand that Lee's father doesn't want to rush him, but he is 21 now, which is very young for a human being, but not super young for a professional boxer. Like at 21 is when you kind of start to want stepping it up, um, seeing what you really have. Uh, look, there's a whole category of professional boxers out there who make their living from being somewhat limited, but durable. Right. Um, it's a really large uh, category of boxers. There's got to be someone, people they can start finding there who who can test Brandon Lee and see if it, they can take him a long way. I, I don't want to put words in Gordon's mouth, but I kind of inferred from the discussion that we were having with him that that's a direction he wouldn't mind putting Brandon Lee in, but he might be getting a bit of resistance. So so I, I don't know. I, I Love watching Brandon Lee. Love seeing the way he throws his punches. The guy can clearly hit. Um, you know, he puts together good combinations. It is time to start seeing if that works against a better quality of opposition, I think. We don't have to throw him in with world title level yet, but he could still stand to step up a little bit, I feel. Yeah, it's so tricky with uh, with, with Brandon Lee. You were saying that you know he, 21 is not so young. Maybe it's time to start stepping him up. I was kind of having the exact opposite thought that hey he's only 21 the law of averages says he'll get some rounds eventually um and and that there's no big rush with him but yeah those sort of opponents that can go some rounds and just be durable the tricky thing for for Gordon and Showbox is they're not exactly Showbox type of fights when you put Brandon Lee against the veteran who's 25 and 12 but has never been knocked out that's not quite the sort of live underdog you like on showbox so i'm I'm not quite sure where to to go with that um one thing i want to talk about here is uh the the stoppages because Mm. i saw some complaints on twitter about the lee williams stoppage and the ref there letting it continue after the second knockdown uh, and I'm not disagreeing with those complaints, but to me, Boca Chica Flaz being allowed to continue after two knockdowns yeah. was far more blatantly wrong and dangerous because Flaz's legs weren't right. Yep. And the ref like asked him to walk this way, walk that way. He couldn't really do it. And the ref let him continue yeah. anyway. I hate when I see that. Um, you know, Williams, yeah, he was overmatched and letting it go on was fairly pointless, but he did seem to have his legs under him until yep. the brutal third knockdown, which... Um, you know, Brandon Lee should be glad it was allowed to continue because that knockout will appear on his highlight reel and help yeah. market him for the next few years. But yeah, I'm I'm just not sure what you do with, with Lee. He's just so obviously a special puncher. Um, yeah. Some combination of heavy hands and he throws his punches so perfectly and accurately yeah. with all this torque. Uh, Williams was supposed to give him some rounds and, and it wasn't to be. Uh, we see this sometimes. Like I remember with uh, Panchito Bajado, they were trying to put him in with sturdier guys around his seventh, eighth, ninth fights, and he still just kept knocking them out in in one or two rounds, one after another, until suddenly he faced an opponent who could stand up to him and, in fact, beat him. So a, a bit of a dilemma with Lee. Like um, I was looking through the names of sort of the not the top welterweight contenders, but the fringier welterweight contenders, and I'm seeing like. You, you probably don't want to leap all the way up right now to a, a Josecito Lopez type just to get right. some rounds, uh, you know, to, because there's a little risk there of actually losing. So, I yeah, I don't know. They're in a really tough spot with Lee, but I guess just keep him active and hope somebody gives him a few rounds. Yeah. Yeah. At know. some point, he's got to learn what it's like to get punched. And he's, he's right. But like you said, you don't want to put him in again. Like Lopez could beat him and you don't want that to happen. But yeah, you need him to learn what it's like to get punched and have to respond to that. 
um, before he's up against those kind of guys. It is difficult. It's like we were talking about with Gordon. When you've got guys with that much power, it, you, you almost wish they didn't have that much power because they make your life really difficult in terms of matchmaking. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, and I don't have anything to add on uh, Boca Chica beyond what you said. You're you're right about uh, how he just could not miss with the right hand, and Flaz's defense had a lot to do with it. Uh, I will simply uh, conclude by saying that I will never tire of saying Janelson Figueroa Boca Chica. Right, yeah, very much. My very much. my tongue my tongue has a, a little party every time. <laughs> and I agree with you, by the way, about uh, I think it was Danny Schiavone, the, the the referee for Lee Williams. It was clear that he was he was got to be like one more clear punch and that ends and i it wasn't his fault that lee landed that <laughs> right punch. right uh, he was ready to leap in oh tough that was one of those situations where, oh that's tough to be a referee because he would have been given a hard time i think if he'd stopped it after that second knockdown right uh that that was tough yeah um all right in the main event uh, and you were right we spent much more time talking about <laughs> a lot more yep <laughs> um in the main event charles conwell took care of business against wendy tucson and a fight in which tucson simultaneously fared perhaps surprisingly well yet also never looked remotely like winning um in our preview we both expected a clash of styles and and i said i expected tucson to move and fire punches from the outside and be a little hard for conwell to catch early on um, and that Conwell would catch up with him with, with body shots. And the fight really didn't unfold anything like that at all. Um, Toussaint stood in front of Conwell and fought him. Uh, he probably lost pretty much every round in the process. Um, but after a strong start, it sort of felt to me a little bit as if the fight was kind of falling into a little bit of a rut. Conwell was yeah. trying to change things up a little bit from round to round, but he wasn't able to find that one thing to break through, that change of gear. And then suddenly he did. Uh, I was... Three minutes and 18 seconds away from the fight ending the way I had predicted. I was already starting to count my bonus points, um, expecting a unanimous win for Conwell, when suddenly yeah, Toussaint just recoiled uh, belatedly from a punch, dropped to his knee, and stayed there for the count, uh, the result of a broken nose uh, from an uppercut. So, Eric, not entirely unlike Jamel Charlo a couple of weeks ago, Conwell gets the point of the knockout as evidence that everything worked out just the way he planned it. Um but in the same way that you were you were a smidgen underwhelmed by Jamel before he got that stoppage, what did you feel about Conwell's performance up until the ending? Yeah, it is a bit similar to Jamel. Conwell was doing what he needed to do, but was on his way to like a B minus grade maybe uh, until mm. he ended it, and and that turns it into a B plus or or maybe an A minus. Uh, I mean, he was doing everything well. He, he was jabbing very well. He was going to the body effectively. He won each of the first four rounds, clearly. And then the next four, he was still winning the rounds. I gave all of them to him, but some of them weren't quite as clear. Conwell's pace was slowing. It felt like maybe he was just kind of coasting to the finish line. Yeah. Because Toussaint was letting him, not challenging him, not using his legs at all, not forcing Conwell to do anything all that different. And that ring looked huge, by the way. Uh, just one more reason Toussaint should have been on his toes and boxing, and I can't for the life of me tell you why he wasn't. So I I'm not sure what to think of Conwell. He isn't the sort of prospect that leaps off the TV screen at you, um, but sometimes there are excellent fighters who don't leap off the screen, like a, a Tim Bradley or a, a Winky Wright. You know, when they were prospects on the way up, nobody said, that guy's a future pound-for-pounder, and yet they were. Uh, Conwell is... Obviously a good prospect. I can't tell if he has a super high ceiling or not, uh, but I know it's good for him that he got the stoppage here. Um, you know, a, a semi-dull 100 to 90 times three decision would have been good for you in the points column, but uh, <laughs> would have left people more critical of the performance. Instead, it, it's kind of hard to be too, too critical. I, I think Seems people are mostly being positive coming out of this. Uh, and he did have a tough act to follow, fighting after a yeah. KO1 and another KO1. Uh, but yeah, he busted Toussaint's nose with the uppercut, got the stoppage, 
and he is a hero in the Raskin household, earning me five points to your one point, which means I'm now leading 47 to 42. Quite a turnaround. Uh, The good news for you, still a lot of Showtime boxing left on the calendar this year. So, So does that mean you have me right where you want me? I do not. No. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> no, that is a big leap to burst open with a few fights, fight cards remaining. So, no, I'm prepared to concede for the first time in several years. I do not have you exactly where I want you. Wow. That, that feels like I've already won this year just by you <laughs> saying that. Yeah, it'll be it's you know, if I'm, I'm not able to get the gap close soon, the strategy may have to change to a just swinging for the fences, looking for something crazy to make up the gap because we'll we'll see what happens after the next couple of cards. But uh, yeah, when this this is a substantially, I don't think either of us have ever had a lead that big in uh, any point. So yeah, I know that you haven't. <laughs> I can't. I can't remember if I maybe did at one point last year. Yeah. Uh, anyway, right. Moving on <laughs> yes. rapidly. Um, we have, uh, in reference to your point, uh, two more Showtime cards coming up this month on October 24th at the Mohegan Sun. Showtime Boxing Special Edition returns with a three-fight card headlined by uh, welterweight action between Sergei Lipinets and Kutatilo Abdukakarov. And one week after that, a four-fight. Halloween night card on Showtime pay-per-view headlined by Javante Tank Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz. And here to talk to us now is Tank Davis's promoter and our good friend, the CEO of Mayweather Promotions, Leonard Ellaby. Leonard, thanks for joining us, my friend, and welcome back to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure, my friend. Um, and let's begin with that big event that we just talked about that's coming up. Uh, Davis Santa Cruz pay-per-view on October 31st. So, Recently, the date was moved a week so that the event can be at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio in front of a live crowd. I think that makes it the first fight since we were all shut down to be in front of fans here in the U.S. So can you give us a little bit of a sense of how the discussions happened to make that take place? And and how many people are you expecting to be able to attend? So all along the whole objective, because obviously Devontae um, has slowly but surely uh, proven to be um, a, and a, a big time attraction. So, you know, what we wanted to do was, that's why the delay and, you know, making a decision on actually where the location of the fight was going to take mm. place. We was following, um, a couple of different states, their protocols and kind of seeing where they are, were with, um, having the opportunity to possibly fight in front of fans. So, uh, Floyd really pushed us really hard on that because, Again, you know, it's, it's no secret that um, Javante is one of the biggest um, attractions in this entire sport already, and he's only 25 years old. And he's been able to show that, you know, from selling out venues in the U.K., abroad, um, the West Coast, um, the East Coast, and down south in Atlanta, and obviously in his hometown of Baltimore. Um, so we wanted to, you know, again – have the opportunity um, to do that. And it came to fruition on working with the Alamo Dome and the Texas officials, you know, and um, so we're very, very excited that we'll be able to have fans and, and, and we're, we're looking to have an upwards of 12,000 fans at a minimal. So um, again, we're just really, really, you know, doing everything we can to, um, we're going to follow all the, the safety protocols and keep everyone safe. Um, with social distancing and everything and, and um, make sure that our event is entirely safe. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Okay. So what is that? Is that like a percent capacity or something that you're, you're working toward or something like that? Like 10 or 20% or something? Yeah, yeah, okay. a little, 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 little over 20%. Okay. Gotcha. So I have to assume that now that the card has been shifted to Halloween night, uh, you'll be wearing a, a costume ringside. Uh, c- can you tell us, Leonard, who you're planning <laughs> to dress up as? Uh, well, one thing for sure, everyone will be in masks. <laughs> that's true. Well, that's Good true. point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you know, you know I, 
I, I flash back to when Nassim Hamed once fought on Halloween. Is there any chance of a Halloween-themed ring entrance for Gervonta? Uh, you never know. He's very creative, and and again, um, he says that he has some really special plans. So okay. um, I, I think he's going to make an announcement about that. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, cool. Now, on a more serious note, uh, the the fight is taking place for both 130-pound and 135-pound belts, and there have been plenty of cynics who have said that this is so Gervonta can miss 130 and still have the fight go ahead. What is your response to to that sort of talk? Well, of course, you're going to have your critics and naysayers, you know, and and I I get it. I mean, you, you know, there was an issue in this last fight where he came he came in over in the second try. He made the weight. It was his first fight at 35. I mean, he'll be the first to, to say that he didn't have the best of camps. He had a lot of issues going on. And I don't want to make excuses it's, it's for, you know, for him for his last fight. But that's water under the bridge. The bottom line, he got the he got the job done. He put a, he he um, he did it in in in. <laughs> In a, in a fashion where it's always exciting and a Javante Davis type type of finishing, he was able to stop Gamboa in the last fight. You know, could he perform better? Most definitely. And so I think that's one of the reasons why he's super motivated, you know, about this fight because he's in tip-top shape already. Um, what I was really impressed with that, you know, he was willing to get out of his comfort zone. You know, we had a, a, a great discussion about, you know, taking his career to the next level, this being his first pay-per-view fight, and the the type of opponent that he's facing, who, in, in my eyes, um, Leo's definitely um, a step up in, in competition, and he's the best fighter that Tank would have faced thus far. Um, he's a four-division champion, and he's coming to win the fight. This is a fight that he pushed really hard for himself, so he feels as though that he sees something in Tank that... Um, he can he he can work make work to his favor. So again, I, I look at this fight as this is a dangerous fight. It's a dangerous mm-hmm. fight because again, on one hand, you have a young man who's extremely confident in Le- in Leo Santa Cruz um, because he obviously pushed for this fight really hard. He fights for his family, and and again, he when he was the, actually the fight before he fought Flores, you know he, that was his whole objective is to get Javante Davis in the ring. So I, I, I guess myself, Tank, and the fans across the world, we will all see what it is that he sees in Tank that he feels <laughs> excited about that he's going to get the W, but we're going to find out on uh, October 31st. Well, what is, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Santa Cruz, obviously, he's a he's an excellent fighter. Uh, uh, but what constitutes, this might seem a strange question, what constitutes a win here for Javante? Like, is it enough to get the W? Or because, as you've talked about, you want him to be and he's starting to be a big attraction, a star. So does that mean he really needs to win spectacularly, especially given that Santa Cruz is perceived as being the smaller guy? Well, I, I don't really. I'm not falling for that crap about being a smaller guy because that's huh. complete nonsense. It's complete nonsense. You know, he fought his last fight at 130 pounds. That was his. That was his first fight at 130 mm-hmm. pounds. Tank's been fighting at 130 pounds. He's only had one fight at 135. So the size difference. Uh, maybe they're talking about he since come from a smaller weight. But again, I mean, great fighters. That's what they do. They move up in weight. They mm-hmm. seek challenges, you know, things to find themselves, to challenge themselves. Floyd Mayweather did. You know, he, he started his pro career out at, and not comparing um, any of these guys to Floyd, he started his pro career out at 130 pounds, you know, and he, he went all the way up to 54, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he was a naturally smaller guy in each and every fight that he fought, fought in. There's only one, a couple fights that I can think of off the top of my head where, where he, he might have been the same size or, or, or slightly bigger than his opponents. But for the most part, everybody else comes in, you know, minimal 15, 18, 25 pounds um, on fight night, bigger than he has. But it's all about, it's all about skills and, and how you, um, your game plan. Size, size don't win fights. Skills do. And, and, and then Leo Santa Cruz, he's a 40 division champion for a reason. That's why, see, 
it's the naysayers out there that's saying, oh, because they're looking for a reason already to, if, if Tank somehow is able to um, get the W in a convincing fashion, they're already looking for ways to tear down Leo Santa Cruz. But see, we're not falling yeah. for it because in, in this sport of boxing, we've seen a number of quote-unquote upset guys who were the favorite guys who to come in and get, and, and get it and, and um, get it done, and it didn't happen. But in this particular case, I, I see the fight as a dangerous fight because there's certain things Leo Santa Cruz does really well. And one, he, he's a very aggressive fighter, and he throws a lot of punches. Okay. And with that being said, he knows how to win right. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, he, he says that their game plan is to try to not get hit with a big shot in the first, you know, five, six rounds, and, and then they, they have a plan after that. They mentioned also about Tank getting tired. And, you know, so whatever their game plan is, they're confident in the game plan. But I know one thing, Devontae Davis is in hello shape. It's the best shape I've seen him in. And, again, the, the thing that impressed me personally the most was him getting out of his comfort zone and me, me personally being able to put my eyes on him daily and watch him mm-hmm. as he prepares for this fight. He's giving it his all. His weight is on point. He's already right now. He's already in his 30s, you know, weight-wise, you know, which will probably shock a lot of people. But he, he's right on track, and he's not going to have no problems with making 130 pounds at all. Yeah, I think was it, I think you posted some photos on Twitter, or you retweeted someone who posted some pictures of him, and he's, he's looking pretty ripped, actually. Yeah, yeah, you know, he's coming, he's coming together. We've got three weeks to go, and our, he's already in his 30s. So, so he's he's boxing and he feels very strong. Uh, again, one of the one of these um, big time career decisions that he made. You know, uh, we had a conversation prior to him coming to camp, and I told him I wanted him to get a um, a chef nutritionist. You know, because I think all pro athletes at a high level, you know, especially if they they tend to you you know to like to walk around a little heavier than normal. You know, um, I personally like to see guys try to walk around no more than 15 pounds, 10 pounds, 15 mm. pounds, between 10 and 15 pounds over their mat, you know, uh, their fighting weight. And, and he's, he's, he's done that. He's taken, taken, uh, he, he took our advice and he, uh, he has a chef, he has a nutritionist. And again, this is some, one of the critical things that has helped him in camp where he's making the weight with no problem. Mm-hmm. No problem. He's still really strong. But again, so I, I really feel as though that uh, Leo Santa Cruz is going to push Tank to the point where we see the best Devontae Davis we've seen thus far, and I feel the same thing, vice versa. Tank mm-hmm. is going to push Leo. We're going to see the best of Leo that we, that we hadn't seen thus far. And, and, again, both of their styles will make for a great fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so you mentioned uh, Floyd Mayweather and and the the you know the relationship between Gervonta and Floyd and Gervonta actually sounded off on social media earlier this year when footage emerged of Floyd working in the gym with Devin Haney. Um, is there some lingering tension there? And and how likely is a is a Davis Haney clash in twenty twenty one? Like it feels as if that's a potentially huge fight around the corner if they both keep winning. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Well, it, well, any fight that takes in is, is going to be a huge fight. Right. Um, um, I, I think the, the, the young man Haney, he's definitely on the right track. He's um, he's 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 a tremendous young champ. Um, he's a, a very hardworking um, young fighter who likes to set the tone. He's, he's um, him and his dad have done a tremendous job with building and getting him to where he's at um, already. He, he you know he has big vision of of, um, you know, he's in charge of his own business. So he's definitely on the right track of where he's trying to get to. But I, I like to see him 
and a couple of those, these other young guys um, consistently try to build their profile before they kind of mention about talking about tank. See, mm. see, we, 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 we're a little different over here in Mayweather promotions because see, we think big picture. Uh, mo- most of people in boxing, they, they, they don't think outside of the box. And that's one of the reasons why Floyd has been able to be so successful with his boxing career, because he's understood that we only have a handful of boxing people. Boxing is a niche sport. And in order to be successful at the highest level here, you have to think outside the box to create um, different fans from different markets and, and, and get the fans what they want. And that's what we're doing with Tank. We're, 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 we're building Tank's career where he becomes a mainstream star and not just a boxing star. Mm-hmm. So I, I get where some of the young guys, they're anxious to you know, get up in there, but I, I personally would like to see him build their profile a little more because as of right now, outside of the hardcore fans, no one don't really know who a lot of these young fighters are. And I'm mm-hmm. just totally being honest. There's no shade on anybody. It's just that I like to see them continue to, to grow their fan base and get out there and work hard like we're doing, like Tank is doing. You know, but I think all those fights will happen in due time when there's a demand for the fight. But right now, none of these guys really are doing anything for Tank as far as bringing anything to the table. You know, all the good fighters and and tremendous young champions. But again, I just like to see them build their profile. You know, you have, you know, one or two guys who are doing really well, you know, um, with that. And um, again, those are the fights that we're looking to make immediately. The biggest fights out there for Tank, you know, but first things first, you can't talk about nothing other than Leo right. Santa Cruz. Right. Um, you, you, you brought up the Haney thing. That's why I wanted to address sure. that. There are no issues at all. Okay. You know, Floyd thinks the world of uh, Devin Haney. Um, he's been around Floyd ever since he was a youngster, and it was no more than Floyd giving him some, some tips, you know, uh, to help and good advice. And he, he does that with with any young fighters that he feels a connection to, but make no doubt about it, Tank is our guy, and, and, and Floyd has guided Tank, and Floyd has been very instrumental in this camp, um, was working with Tank, very hands-on with um, his sparring and, and just correcting things and just overall just giving him, you know, giving him the game, you know, in and out the ring. And um, they, they have a very good bond, you know, people – always try to do the divide and conquer thing. Well, I, I see who does it, you know, but the thing, they ain't no stopping us right here. Uh, uh, Floyd and, and Tank have a, a, a unbreakable bond and a, a, a connection where both guys are on the same page and looking, looking um, for his objective. And my objective is to make Tank the biggest star in the entire sport. And he is well, well on his way. I tell you, we're really excited about this young man. All right, but before that pay-per-view on October 24th, you've got a couple of your younger fighters who are, you know, not at Tank's stage, but are coming along real nicely. You've got both Malik Hawkins and Xavier Martinez in action on October 24th. Um, there's a lot of buzz around both guys. I, I love Xavier Martinez. Um, oh, we've got too. them both in real tough. Um, do you regard those these fights as step-up fights for both of them? What are your expectations for these guys, both on October 24th and beyond that? That's a great question. Um, yes, these are step-up fights, but that's what that's what me and Floyd have wanted to do all along. We wanted to build our guys. We believe in putting our guys in in tough, you know, especially when they're younger, because you gotta. This was this is what prepares them um, for bigger fights down the road. You know, you gotta test. You gotta be able to test yourself and know where you're at. You know, as a as a young fighter, and both of these fights are. Tremendous test for both guys. Um, they're, they're, they're fights that are, are I, I, on paper, they're 50-50 fights. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to see what happens. But I'm very, very confident in both of our guys. In the first bout, we have Malik Hawkins. He's been working extremely hard. You know, he's in, he's in camp, been in camp with um, Coach Kenny, um, who works hand-in-hand with Coach Calvin. And um, they've been doing a phenomenal job. He's had terrific sparring. He's been he's been in and around the gym since you know the since COVID, you know just just staying sharp, working on working on his game, you know, and that's what I really really 
uh, is impressed about him. He's having a terrific camp in Frederick, Maryland. Um, he's boxed Boots in the, his camp. Mm-hmm. Um, he's um, got some great work from Boots. You know, um, they work well together. Um, he's working with another one of our young fighters, um, Jaleel, um, who's going to be a rising star in um, 2021 under Mayweather Promotions banner. Um, again, so he's got terrific, he's had terrific work leading up, and he's in very tough, very tough. I love Matias' style. He's a come-forward, aggressive fighter. We will see the best in Malik Hawkins. And then with uh, Xavier Martinez, again, he's um, one of our very, very exciting young fighters, and, and um, we're taking our time um, with him, getting him in the right fight, and it's a tremendous step-up fight. Um, he's fighting Claudio Marrero, former world champion. And, again, I think this is a, a, a solid test for him, and he's looking out to – He's looking, he wants to put on a very, very impressive fight. So there's two terrific fights leading into uh, Sergio Lipinet. Um, wow, again, it's a terrific card, none other than on Showtime Boxing, um, and that's October the 24th. Again, you know, I, I'm very excited to see our young guys back in action. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of some of the up-and-comers in the Mayweather promotion stable, uh, several weeks ago, Angelo Leo looked terrific, main eventing on Showtime against late replacement Tremaine Williams. How impressed were you w- with that performance, and, and when are you looking to reschedule his meeting with Stephen Fulton Jr.? Well, we're, we're looking to do that in the next couple months. Um, okay. It's a oh, terrific okay. fight. Angelo on that night, um, is unfortunately, um, Fulton tested positive for the coronavirus, and... Um, Angelo was able to um, to step step up and um, take care of business and fighting a replacement fighter and, and and again he did a tremendous job in in becoming the world champion on that night and again that matchup against Stephen Fulton I'm really really looking forward to that matchup because uh, Fulton talked a lot of trash and he, you know um, so again Angelo is really looking forward to that fight to shut him up. And um, you know it's a it's a it's, it's one of those big little fights as we call it for the fans, and it's a terrific matchup. And I'm looking forward to uh, Angelo going out there again, being victorious when we make that fight. But that will be both of their very next fight, and we're looking to uh, to do that that fight in the next couple months. Okay, so maybe even before years end. Um. Well, I'm me and Stephen and. Um, me and Stephen now we're, we're talking about potential dates and, and so it's going to be in the next couple of months and that's okay. for sure um this year's hall of fame ballots have been mailed out and eric and i are going to talk and later in the show about how we're voting and obviously floyd is the most prominent new name he's obviously he's going to be inducted um you've been with him since the beginning how does it feel now to be at the point where he's just months away from being a Hall of Famer. And, and have you guys talked about that at all? It's so crazy that you mentioned that. It's just, it's just like I just got the email about <laughs> it, right? And it's just it's so surreal. It don't even seem real. Right. You know, it's because it's like, I guess, obviously the time has been changed from five years to three years now. Right. And it's like, so it's just, I mean, it just seems so surreal. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and he just found out about it. Okay. He just found out about it. And he was just like, are you serious? <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I guess it came around pretty fast. You know, so we didn't finish getting a chance to talk about it because we were on the phone. But we'll get a chance to kind of chop it up and talk about it. But it's a tremendous honor. And, and again, um, he's definitely, definitely um, someone who, who, without a doubt, has, has had a phenomenal career, and and is and is one that will will stand the test of time for many, 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 many years to come. You know, he'll look be able to look back over his career, and and again, he's had the best career ever. You know, um, done so many wonderful things, and I'm just really excited for him. And th- those words just go simultaneously you know, together, Floyd Mayweather in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. But it's just like, wow, it's just so soon. You know, right? It's just, it's just so soon. It's just so soon. It's just like, woo! 
<laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine, you know, even for someone like Floyd, who's probably known for the last, you know, 15, 18 years that he was pretty much a sure thing to go into the Hall of Fame, that still must be a little bit surreal when that, that moment arrives and you see your name on the back. Yeah. That's why I was just like, I was like, what? <laughs> So uh, so last thing before we let you go, Leonard, there's a, a big fight coming up on, on the 17th in the same weight range where Gervonta fights, uh, the, the Lomachenko-Lopez fight. Um, mm-hmm. I seem to remember uh, 22 years ago this very month, uh, a, a very young fighter named Floyd Mayweather challenged for his first title against Gennaro Hernandez. And for all of Floyd's talent, a lot of fans and media wondered if it was too soon. And now Floyd proved conclusively that it wasn't too soon, but uh, I'm curious, how do you see Lomachenko Lopez and, and what are the chances that as talented as Teofimo is, it might be too soon. He might not quite be ready for this leap up in class. Well, I, I don't, I don't really want to, to um, can really, and I know you guys weren't trying to compare T.O. to Floyd and you mm-hmm. just making the, just the similarities of just being a young fighter, right. taking a fight on too, too soon. Um, um, in Floyd's case, we, we obviously we were very confident. Um, his father was very confident. You know, um, Gennaro Hernandez was an idol for Floyd. So he, you know, he, he looked up to him. And, and again, it was, a, it was a, a, a great challenge, you know, but the levels are different, you know, when you compare the two. Because I think Tio's a, a he's a he's a, a he's a a terrific fighter. He has a ton of skills, you know. But but you know if you call it like you see it, like I hear and I listen to everything. So prior prior to his fight with Comedy, the media was tearing him apart because hmm. he looked he looked terrible fighting Nikitani. Right. Mm. Right. You know, they were, they were saying he wasn't ready. Oh, my God, yeah. he wasn't ready. And all of a sudden, he comes in, and, and he, it was a terrific fight, terrific knockout. He knocked Tommy out. But, you know, that's the old saying. I guess you're only as good as your last fight. But exactly. I watch and I see everything. You know, that kid's not going to beat Lomacheco. He's not going to be. He, and that's just my opinion. Mm. You know, I wish him the best. I'll definitely be tuned in. It's a terrific fight between two excellent fighters. I'll be, you know, I'm definitely going to watch it. Um, but I, he don't have enough experience to to deal with. You know, it's it's it's, it's a lot to deal with with Lomachenko. I know one person that can deal with him and 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 and, and handle that, and and that's my my kid. And and if, again, we, all these big fights, you, you know, um, I think we're gonna get an opportunity to see all these guys in due time. You know, stay around. You know, mm-hmm. but. Um, it's all about the Javante Davis show. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> all right. And also, also too, one of the one of the fights that we're going to have on the on the card, one of the fights that we're going to have on the card that I can't talk about right now. I just remember that I can't talk about it. Oh. So never mind. <laughs> <laughs> what this is one, oh, never one, mind. one of the one of the Javante undercard fights you're saying is uh something's in the something's in the works. Is that is that what you what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Okay. I, I've just noticed, I, I'm just reading the message. I can't talk about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. So I was we'll, getting we'll, excited we'll, for a moment there. We'll, 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 let, we'll let that tease linger out there then. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Watch this face. Oh, hey, Leonard, listen, man. Thank you so much for joining us. It was, it's such a pleasure to, to, to talk to you when you join us, and we really appreciate it. And uh, all the best with Tank in, uh, in a couple of weeks. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. And continue, continue success with both of you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Leonard. Okay. Before we look ahead, there's one major fight from this past weekend we should look back on. Uh, Emmanuel Navarrete taking a strap in his second weight class, moving up from 122 to 126, and decisioning showbox alum Ruben Villa by scores of 114, 112 twice, and 115, 111. Uh, Navarrete dropped Villa in rounds one and five, one and four, excuse me. It's a good job he did, because absent those knockdowns and assuming all else in the fight was unchanged, it would have been a majority draw. Navarrete actually needed to win the 12th round uh, to prevent it from being a majority draw, even with those knockdowns. Um, He built a big lead early, but Villa found his way back into it on the judges' scorecards over the back half. Eric... Do you agree with the scorecards? What did you think? No, they, they, they were too close. Uh, I, I had it 
116-110, and I thought, if anything, I was being generous to Via. I thought 117-109 would have been just fine. Now, it's immaterial. You know, it was still a unanimous decision for the right guy, but a little scary that Navarrete was one poorly scored round away from settling yeah. for a majority draw. It was a strange fight. Navarrete started so well. Uh, at, at the end of the fourth round, I tweeted... Navarrete equals beast, all caps. Uh, I mean, the punches he was throwing, the uppercuts, he's so long. He can do damage from a distance almost no other fighters can. And Villa looked completely overmatched. Uh, but Villa deserves a lot of credit, not for getting back into the fight, because he was never really in it, regardless of what the mm. scorecard said, but for being really tough and determined and making some adjustments and hanging in there. Um, I don't think his stock goes down in defeat mm. based on the way he fought over the latter two thirds of the fight. But Navarrete, his stock was soaring after four rounds. I was yeah. carving out space for him on my pound for pound list, <laughs> uh, but he got caught more and more as the fight went on. And it made you wonder what would have happened if Via were an above average puncher. Now, yeah. maybe Navarrete fights him differently if that's the case. Uh, clearly he was more reckless and more willing to be hit because Via has very little pop. Still, you know, Navarrete is, is a gift to fans with how often he fights and how entertaining his style is, what a whirlwind he is. This was a very good win over a very good fighter. But by the time it was over, you, you kind of had to wonder how much longer is his winning streak going to last? It feels like he might get picked off the next time he fights a top caliber mm. opponent. Okay, so that was really the only notable fight last weekend, uh, and we have another light weekend coming up in terms of quantity, not in terms of quality. There is one excellent fight on tap this Saturday on ESPN, the long-awaited and much-anticipated lightweight clash between Vasily Lomachenko and Teofimo Lopez takes place in the bubble at the MGM Grand. Lomachenko enters the contest with a record of 14-1 and with 10 KOs, with the lone loss coming in his first title shot in just his second pro fight against veteran Orlando Salido, who came in overweight and spent half the fight punching Lomachenko in the gonads. <laughs> um, with a record of 15-0, and Lopez has the same number of pro fights as Lomachenko, but it's a very different kind of 15 fights. That said, he has fought some tough opposition and has mostly looked spectacular doing so. He knocked out Mason Menard inside a round. He brutalized Diego Magdaleno before stopping him in seven. And as Leonard mentioned earlier, he looked excellent in stopping Richard Comey last time out. Uh, by the way, the Comey rule on Showtime, not about Richard Comey, uh, but, but totally worth watching, just the same. Uh, anyway, Kieran, you have never wavered in your belief that Lomachenko's boxing abilities are not of this earth, uh, but you've also long been high on Teofimo Lopez. When this fight was confirmed, you made it pretty clear how excited you were by it. With it now less than a week away, are you still excited, and how do you see it panning out? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm super excited by it. Um, I, I think I've mentioned before that uh, I was work, we were working for HBO and I was ringside when Lopez had, I think, his fourth professional fight, you know, not on TV. And his father, who is kind of back crazy in that very special way that a lot of boxing dads are, um, just came up to me unsolicited and just started telling me that his son was going to be the biggest thing in boxing. He might have even used the phrase as big as Ali or bigger than Ali. It was something like that. I mean, right. it was enough that it just really leapt out at you like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> um, and needless to say, I just assumed he was a lunatic. Um, but I was sufficiently intrigued to make sure that I was ringside for this son's bout. And I was sufficiently impressed that I paid, continued to pay attention. Um, well, he's certainly a long way from being the biggest thing in boxing, the biggest thing in boxing today, let alone forever. But um, one of the things that, to me, make this fight so exciting is the potential pathways that do open up for uh, Teofimo Lopez if he does win, um, and especially if he wins by knockout. Uh, if he does that, then he does overnight become, within the confines of boxing fandom, not necessarily beyond that, a, a superstar. He catapults yeah. himself. Um, into like big time uh, consideration uh, towards into the towards the pound for pound top ten. Frankly, instantly positions himself as one of the sport's biggest names um, with plenty of potential for future growth. And there are actually real stakes from Lomachenko here too. You know, for reasons that elude me, there is a segment of the boxing fan base that I feel has never entirely given him his due, um, hasn't fully appreciated the kind of things that he does in the ring. Um, and at the same time, it's been a while since he really 
faced a challenger who going in was widely perceived to have a genuine opportunity of knocking him off. Um, the Guillermo Rigondo boxing hipster fanboys thought it was going to be their guy, but they went awfully quiet after Lomachenko smushed him. Um, but Rigondo didn't bring the legitimate danger that Lopez does. You know, the excitement here is that Lopez is bigger than Lomachenko, seemingly carries far greater one-punch power. And, and since that domination of Rigondo, who was the fourth opponent in a row to just flat-out quit against Lomachenko, he was going through that incredible spell. You know, you could argue that Loma has gone off the boil a little. He was knocked down by Jorge Linares before scoring a stoppage win. He was taken the distance by Jose Pedraza and Luke Campbell. And only against Ant Crawler in his last few fights did he look like the Lomachenko of old. And beyond the shoulder injury he carried into the Linares fight, there's a reason for that, I think. And that's that those four fights have been a lightweight. And he's just not a real lightweight. He's a featherweight, super featherweight. Yeah. And Lopez, in contrast, is big for a lightweight. And that's, I think, the big leveler. And that's what makes it exciting. Um, look... As you mentioned, I've been second to nobody, really, in my praise for Lomachenko. But if we learned anything from Avengers Infinity War, it's that even gods can be defeated. And I do have just a sneaky suspicion about this. I just wonder if this might be just the wrong combination of youth and size and strength and unorthodox style for Lomachenko. I do wonder whether this is an upset waiting to happen. Um, Against that... Lopez has managed to get under Lomachenko's skin a little bit, and I think Vasily wants to punish him. And whereas in some boxes you might think, uh-oh, that's going to knock him out of his game plan, I think it's just more likely to make Lomachenko and me and Roma more focused. So I, I, I almost see two different scenarios. I can almost see a situation in which Lopez just proves too big and too strong and scores a stoppage win, and I can also see a scenario in which Lomachenko puts all his genius together and just brutalizes and embarrasses this this young pretender. It's weird. I, those are the two extremes that seem the most likely to me. But having tiptoed up to the, that thought of there maybe being an upset, I just can't do it. I can't. Not that a, our predictions count for anything, for a contest right. or anything, but my unofficial prediction is still, I think it goes to the distance, and I think Lomachenko ends up just doing what he does so well in the ring and just baffling and bamboozling young Lopez who sort of almost ends up going into a depressed shell down the final few rounds. And Lomachenko, I think ends up producing a, a real masterclass of a performance and then possibly going back down to 130 where I think he belongs. Mm. Uh, well, uh, congratulations. You have succeeded in turning this into an episode of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney that I might be able to convince my son to listen to by telling him... <laughs> Kieran referenced Avengers Infinity War. Now, do you want to check it out? We should make sure that's like in the episode description and everything so that people Googling uh, Avengers Infinity War uh, stumble across our, our podcast here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love this fight like you do. I am fascinated by the matchup. I think both men are facing someone the likes of which they've never seen before. Yes. There is potential here for something truly special and dramatic to happen. Um I compared it to Mayweather-Hernandez when we were talking to Leonard, but really the more fitting Mayweather fight to compare it to is Mayweather-Canelo. You know, pound for pound, number one or thereabouts, supremely skillful boxer meeting future pound for pounder when that guy is only 23 years old and still perhaps several years away from his peak. If Lomachenko is the current fight game's Mayweather, if he's that great, Mm. he might take Lopez to school the way Floyd dominated Canelo but boy, is Teofimo Lopez dangerous every step of the way. And yeah. unlike Canelo, I don't think Lopez is facing an overwhelming hand speed deficit. Um, so to me, Lomachenko is the pick, but Lopez is a live underdog. So live, in fact, that I bet on him uh, because I found a price that was a little too good to pass up. I'm currently seeing Teofimo between plus 245 and plus 270 at most online sports books. About a week or so ago, I saw him at DraftKings at plus 310, uh, and he's still plus 300 there. He's only gone down a tiny bit. I think he's more live than that. You know, if he has a 25% chance of winning, then plus 300 is an exactly fair price. I think his chances are a little better than 25%. So I put a few shekels on him at, at, at plus 310. Uh, but to be clear, I don't believe he will win. Uh, I think Lomachenko despite being past his absolute peak and, and fighting above his best weight, is still likely to be a puzzle Lopez can't quite solve. And 
you you hit on this that if he does do Lomachenko things successfully for a few rounds, I could see the young fighter getting very frustrated and the fight getting even more lopsided as it goes along. And I'm hoping that's not exactly what happens. That's I've just laid out the least dramatic scenario um, for a fight that seems like it could be great. But, um, you know, if Lopez just starts following Lomachenko around aimlessly the whole second half of the fight, that's not very fun. I'd much rather see some kind of knockdown fest like Cepeda Branchik. Um, but uh, my prediction is Lomachenko by unanimous decision, even though my betting bankroll would prefer a Lopez victory. Yeah, you know, you mentioned a couple of Floyd fights. So the other fight that I was thinking about um, as I was thinking about this fight was Salvador Sanchez Azuma Nelson. Oh, yeah. You know, where no, you know, Nelson put up a tremendous fight, but just was no match for a guy who was at his peak, lost, but went on to have a fantastic career. Right. And you could totally see something like that. I think the Floyd Canelo uh, analogy is, is perhaps better because I think, um, yeah, that Lopez could end up being being that good and that dominant. But it, yeah, it just may be a step too far too soon. And the fact that we're even talking about it in that term shows how good I think Lopez is, as I've generally written off every every opponent before they face Lomachenko <laughs> beforehand, right. no matter how good they were. So I think it says a lot about Lopez um, that, we're, that we're even this excited about it. Yeah. All right, a few items of news before we go. Uh, mostly concerning the changing of dates for some fights and the confirming of dates for others. First of all, the British heavyweight showdown between Daniel Dubois and Joe Joyce has been confirmed for November 28th. Promoter Frank Warren had been hoping to stage it in front of fans, but the UK is going through a second wave of COVID and it will now be behind closed doors. Uh, sticking with the heavyweights, every neutral's favorite boxer and our former guest, Joseph Parker, is set to take on local rival Junior Farr in Auckland on December 11th in what has been dubbed, quote, New Zealand's fight of the century. It has been dubbed that by the fight's promoter, but nonetheless. Um, back in these here United States, uh, the Ryan Garcia, Luke Campbell, Title Eliminator now has a date. December 5th, location TBD, although it will be in the U.S. And another Garcia, Danny, has had his meeting with Errol Spence moved. And it being boxing, it too will also be on <laughs> December 5th. Uh, before we leave the news items, uh, you will remember boxer slash firefighter DeAndre Ware leaping in to use CPR to save top ranks Pete Susans, who collapsed at a weigh-in in September. Uh, Ware's immediate reward was to lose his fight the next day. But he has now been honored by the mayor of his hometown of Toledo, Ohio, who in a ceremony the other day presented Ware with a key to the city. Good news there. Uh, Eric, anything from those items that leaps out at you? Yeah, very, very cool about uh, DeAndre Ware. Well, well deserved. Um, among the other things, what jumps out is that uh, New Zealand is, is kicking America's ass right now in all sorts of ways. But <laughs> if Parker Fah is their fight of the century, then, then we have still got him beat on at least one front. <laughs> um, I like all those fights that, that you mentioned, and, and we've discussed all of them at some point in the past. So there's no need to comment on the matchups, but just big picture. We talked about this in the spring, you know, mm -hmm. boy, the fall or winter boxing calendar might be crazy. And we're seeing it now. Yeah. The summer was mostly for minor fights as promoters figured out how to do bubbles and fighters eased back into action. Now the big fights, some in front of socially distanced crowds, some not. Those big fights are coming in quick succession. And from Lomachenko Lopez this weekend through almost the end of the year, at least through December 12th, there are big fights pretty much every weekend, sometimes multiple big fight cards on the same Saturday, as we're seeing with December 5th. There's a lot to look forward to and uh, hopefully a lot of afternoon naps in my future so I can stay up and watch all this stuff. Uh, OK, last topic on the podcast today. The International Boxing Hall of Fame ballots went out last week. Uh, by the way, quick reminder, as we discussed last week. The Hall of Fame has struggled during COVID, so you can go to IBHOF.com to find out how you can support the Hall. Uh, anyway, ballots went out to voters. Kieran, uh, as you mentioned at the top of the show, you and I are voters. So we're going to discuss this year's ballot and how we're planning to vote. And a quick reminder that last year, the Hall changed two key rules for the modern fighter category. They shortened the periods since your last fight from five years to three years to be eligible. And now the top three vote getters get in, but if anyone else gets voted for on more than 80% of ballots, 
therein also. So we could see four or even five inductees in the modern category. There are five new names on the ballot who all last fought three years ago in 2017. I I think most years they add four new names to the ballot, but Sergio Martinez, who was on the ballot last year, actually dropped off because he's active again. Now, maybe they were going to put five newbies on the ballot this year anyway. I'm not sure. But here are the five in alphabetical order. Miguel Cotto, Vladimir Klitschko, Floyd Mayweather, James Toney, and Andre Ward. Uh, yeah, uh, we can vote for up to five fighters. And in past years, when I knew exactly three were getting in, I almost always voted for exactly three since other votes would just water down my votes for the three that I find most deserving. Now with the 80% rule, I may as well vote for my top five. And I think it's kind of easy. Uh, this is not my final decision yet. I haven't filled out my ballot. I haven't done all my research, but those five new guys on the ballot, they're all Hall of Famers. Uh, I don't even have to think about it. And I'm pretty sure they're the five most deserving guys on the ballot. I think Mayweather, Klitschko, and Ward are basically slam dunks. I can see a glimmer of a case against Cotto. There are some holes to be poked in parts of his resume, although to me it's obvious he had a Hall of Fame career. And Tony, you can hold his failed steroid tests against him, but... As a sports fan who thinks Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens definitely belong in the Baseball Hall of Fame, I am not going to be the one to hold that against Tony. But, you know, like, who else is there on the ballot in terms of of, of holdovers who I voted for or strongly considered voting for in the past? We have some good ones. Tim Bradley in his second year, Diego Corrales, Carl Frotch, Ricky Hatton, Gennaro Hernandez, Rafael Marquez. Uh, Marquez, I 100% feel is a Hall of Famer, and yeah. I'm going to start getting pissed in a couple of years yeah. if he isn't in, and I worry he won't be for a while. Uh, and on top of those guys, there are lots of other guys you can definitely make a case for. But I just don't see any compelling reason not to vote for the five new guys. Um, I'm not making it official yet, but that's what I expect to do. Are you thinking the same thing, Kieran? Um, Almost, although you referenced uh, one of the issues I have with one of the fighters. Um, So, uh, look, I'm going to be very surprised indeed if Mayweather, Ward and Klitschko don't get in um, on the first ballot. Uh, They should all sail in. Kuro and Tony will join them in the Hall of Fame. Will they join them this year? I don't. No, uh, I've seen a few hipster ballots out there. <laughs> yep. Um, and if there are too many folks who are voting for other, for for certain other uh, candidates, you know, ostensibly just to keep their name in consideration or for other reasons, possibly Kodo in particular might not clear that eighty percent hurdle this time, but they should do. Um. With one, with that one caveat, I, I voted for. I have sent my my ballot in. I voted for Mayweather, Ward, and Klitschko, and I voted for Kodo, not just because of my long public man crush, but because he does deserve to be in there. Um, there's barely anyone worth fighting from his era whom he didn't fight. Um, uh, Tony should uh, also join them based solely on achievements, but I didn't vote for him this time. Um, I can't just ignore not just one failed drug test, but two. Um, I also didn't vote for Shane Mosley last year. Hmm. Um, not because I don't think Shane Mosley's a Hall of Famer, um, but because of his confessed PED use. And you could say, well, look, there are questions about some of the people that you have voted for. Um, and that's true. Uh, there are people who will insist until they're blue in the face that Evander Holyfield was a walking pincushion and he got in. Um, to which I, all of which I say, fair enough. But we know that Tony tested dirty. We had right. our suspicions about lots of others, but we know. So I'm going to withhold my vote this time, but not every time. In fact, um, and if you want to criticize me for that, too, and say, look, the guy's either a Hall of Famer or he isn't. And what kind of a point are you making by withholding your vote the first time and then not, say, the second or third time? Yeah, fair enough. OK. I, again, we have different perspectives on that. Um, but I just don't. I, it's just my one thing. We know that he was dirty for at least two fights. And so I'm going to sc- For all his phenomenal achievements, I'm going to skip him this time around. Um, So those are the four of the five are the ones that I'm voting for. Uh, But, you know, I try to be objective. But that said, if Miguel doesn't get in first time, I'm burning everything. (laughs) Uh Oh, that's he is not a sure shot to get in. So I am worried about uh, we have some a pyromaniac on our hands here. Um, So are, are you planning to vote for a fifth person or you or you think you're just voting for four this year? 
Uh, probably just for there are some guys on the ballot whom I have voted for in the past when the ballot was less stacked. Uh, I voted for Rafa Marquez. Right. Uh, absolutely. I think I've voted for Ivan Calderon before, I think. Uh, I think Tim Bradley has a really good case um, in, an, in a time where the ballot is less stacked. So I've definitely voted for four. I haven't yet sealed the envelope. Right. Um, if I were to vote for a fifth, it would probably be, well, it could also be Carl Froch, but I think it would probably be Rafa Marquez or Tim Bradley this time around. Um, we'll see. I, th- I think Carl Froch definitely hurt his case with his appearance on our podcast and yes. his conspiracy theories. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, and you know, there's kind of your decision of whether to vote for a different fifth other than Tony is kind of immaterial because with those five guys on the ballot, I can't see any way anyone else hits 80%. Um, But you mentioned the one other guy on the ballot that I, I want to talk about. You talked about the hipsters uh, and uh, you just mentioned the name Ivan Calderon as someone you might've voted for once in the past. This vocal minority groundswell of support for Calderon is starting to annoy me. Um, you know, if 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 you think he's a Hall of Famer, that's fine. Uh, I disagree. I think he falls a little short. Uh, he had this long reign at strawweight where he held the lesser regarded WBO belt and never unified and never fought a fellow top five straw strawweight. It's really a thin resume. Then he moved up to 108 and did score a couple of more meaningful wins against Hugo Cazares. But that was it. And then he got stopped twice by Giovanni Segura and he was done. He never fought anyone who will come close to being considered for having his name even on the Hall of Fame ballot. Never mind not fighting a Hall of Famer. Ivan Calderon was a really good, skilled little boxer. But at no point in his career did I believe him to be a Hall of Famer. And I know it's hard at 105 and 108 to to build resumes against familiar names. Uh, But, you know, like I look at Rosendo Alvarez hasn't been on the ballot yet. And to me, Mm -hmm. he's every bit as deserving as Calderon. But again, you think he's a Hall of Famer? Fine. If you're voting for him this year over one of these five new guys, that is the ultimate BS hipster move. I'm sorry, he's not one of the 10 most deserving guys on this ballot. If you if you want to squeeze out Cotto or Tony to cast a vote for Rafa Marquez or Carl Frotch or Tim Bradley, it's a little bit of a reach, but I can see it. You vote for Calderon, you're getting too cute. You know, look back at his record, look back at the ring rankings and where the guys he fought were rated at the time. If you think Calderon is more deserving of a plaque in the Hall of Fame than Rafael Marquez... You can you can pull an Abe Simpson and turn right the hell around and get the f out of here with that crap. <laughs> um, but I will add one other thing: is that if there's an induction weekend next June, it is going to be insane. Oh we know yeah. B Hop, Juan Manuel Marquez, and Mosley, and then you add on probably Mayweather, Klitschko, Ward, and maybe more, plus all the other categories. That's yeah. going to be bonkers. Yeah, it is. Uh, I sincerely hope we had hoped to be able to podcast from the Hall of Fame induction ceremony this year, right. which obviously wasn't able to happen. Uh, if it does go ahead and we're, there are able to be crowds and there are able to be media in attendance, boy, I mean, the Hall of Fame weekend is great at the best of times. It's just going to be bonkers next next week uh, next year if yeah. uh, this, this happened. I very much want to be there. Yep. All right. Uh, that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, be sure to check out the first episode of All Access, Javante Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz, airing this Friday, October 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, with episode two following one week later, October 23rd. Uh, we will be back one week from today to look back on Lomachenko-Lopez and also to look ahead to the October 24th Showtime Boxing Special Edition card, headlined by Sergei Lipnets and Kudatilo Abdukakarov, with the two supporting bouts featuring the fighters we discussed with Leonard Ellaby as Xavier Martinez takes on Claudio Marrero and Malik Hawkins faces off against Supriel Matias. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, kind, and be well.